0: If you want to turn in your Bibles to Jonah, I've given one message to each chapter in the book of Jonah. And I'm going to try to do that tonight with the fourth chapter. But there's so much in this fourth chapter, it's going to be hard to because I'm just going to have to leave some stuff out because there's so many different lessons that you can get out of the fourth chapter. And if you remember, we've spoken already about Jonah going to Whale school. That was Jonah chapter one. Then we spoke of Jonah graduating from Whale school, Jonah's diploma. That was Jonah chapter two, end of chapter one, chapter two. And then chapter three, we talked about Jonah going to work, you know, trying to follow the theme of going to school, getting a diploma, and then going to work. So I really struggled with what to call this last sermon. You know how I like these one-liners, being an old songwriter, and so here's some titles that I toyed with. One title was "A Worm, A Wind, and A Wish." Y'all can maybe figure that one out later. Another title was "Glad for a Gourd, Mad at the Lord." That's pretty catchy. And then I thought, well, Jonah gets fired, you know, from his job, but that's not accurate. I thought the more about that. It's actually would be Jonah quits. I mean, that's because that's what you got. Jonah quits. But I think I've settled on this. From whale school to worm school. The sad case of the pouting prophet. That's a long title. And it sounds like an old country song. Real long title. From whale school to worm school. Because that's what you've got in Jonah, the fourth chapter. So let's pick up in chapter four. And remember the context is. The Lord has seen the repentance of Nineveh. And he has decided not to destroy the city. About 120 or so years later, this city is going to be destroyed. I believe it's in the the days of Nahum, the prophet. Which, Lord willing, if we continue this minor prophet series, we'll, we'll get to Nahum. But for 100 plus years, the destruction of Nineveh is spared because of the repentance of these people here. And we, picked, we left off where it says that in chapter 4, verse 1, that Jonah was displeased. And you ever heard the old word flabbergasted? I mean, that's what I feel like when I read about Jonah's reaction. It just flabbergasts me. That means it just takes the wind out of me. Jonah was displeased because God was merciful. Now, that is a hard-headed, obstinate, Individual that would be that way. Judgmental. (laughs) I mean, there's so many bad things that you can say about Jonah. And I want you to notice his reaction to God being merciful. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, verse 1 of chapter 4. And he was very angry. (laughs) Displeased exceedingly, it means to be torn up. That's how we would say it today. The literal definition is to be broken up. We'd say he was torn up over this. Another occurrence of this uh, displeased exceedingly is found in the book of Genesis where it tore up Abraham because his son Isaac was being bullied by the older boy that was the product of Hagar and Abraham, Ishmael. So Ishmael was bullying Isaac, and it just tore up Abraham. That's that's a pretty good reason to get tore up, you know. His child was being, truly being bullied. And then in Isaiah 59 and 15, it speaks of God being displeased. So this is an emotion that God can feel himself, but in the context of Jonah, it, it is awful. It's sinful. He is displeased exceedingly. He is all torn up because God has decided to have mercy. It says he was very angry. The word angry there means to glow or to grow warm, to blaze up, to fret, to grieve, to wax hot, to be incensed, to be wroth. He is so upset that he's just angry. I don't know if you've ever been angry in your life. I think we all have at some point or another. If you haven't yet, you haven't lived long enough. Or if you're a young guy, you don't remember because you definitely got angry when you weren't getting your way and you were a baby. That's why babies cry. They get upset. But if you think about, if you've ever experienced that emotion of just outright anger, I could just see Jonah there. He's just clenching his teeth and he's clenching his fists and he's, he's maybe broken out into a sweat because he's so mad. Because of God's mercy. And I'm going to tell you, it's always good to pray. But it you might want to check your anger before you pray. Because here is Jonah in the midst of his exceeding displeasure and his very angriness, and it says he prays. I don't know if you remember, I think it was the first or second sermon that we preached on this. We talked about the seven different ways that Jonah petitioned the Lord. I believe it was the second sermon. And there were seven different ways. that you know, he, he covered all the spectrum of ways to approach God. You know, and then the last one was where he cried out, "You know, I'll pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord, and the Lord calls the fish, the whale, to vomit him up. This is one of those words for sure, but I can tell you it's not the same kind of praying that he's doing from the belly of the whale, or the belly of hell as he described it. So he prays, not a good idea to pray in this frame of mind. He's angry at God. He says, listen to the language. I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? What's he talking about? He's going back to when God first came to him and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. The, either the thought occurred to Jonah or he looked in the mirror or he just spoke to himself and said, if I go over there and preach, I know that the Lord is going to forgive those people. <laughs> he said this to himself. Was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? See that possessiveness there? Therefore, I fled before unto Tarshish. You want to know why Jonah fled? It's because he knew in his heart that God was consistent with his character. And if those people in Nineveh repented, God would not destroy them. That's terrible, isn't it? Now watch this. For I knew that thou art... Can't you just see him doing this with clenched teeth? I knew that thou art a gracious God. (laughs) And merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. This man has lost his mind, has he not? if, If you want to say it like that, that he's lost his mind, he's just so cauterized, calloused by his sin of unthankfulness and pride. So don't think for a second that we can't get there ourselves. He is so cauterized, calloused by his sin. Watch this now. He says that he fled because God was gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and would turn from the trouble that he was going to bring upon Nineveh. So ask the question, was Jonah gracious? No. Was Jonah merciful? No. Was Jonah slow to anger? No. Was Jonah kind? No. Was he willing to spare and and be merciful? No. (laughs) Now let me just ask you all this. How would you like for this guy to be your preacher. Think about it. Would you even want to be around this guy? Okay. This guy is so obstinate and so hard headed. I mean, he is bringing down the, he wants to bring down the fire of God on the people of God. (laughs) Now I understand he's preaching to people that he's not pastoring, so to speak, because he's way away from Israel over in Nineveh. But at the same time, You know, we can't be selective with our mercy. (laughs) You know, we can't just say, well, this person did me a favor, so I'm going to be merciful to them. You know, Jonah is so mean. You would not want this guy to be someone that would preach to you. And I don't just mean as a pastor. I just mean you really don't want to hear this guy preach. Because he's going to be harsh and judgmental and constantly just battering the people of God. He's not a very good sheep feeder, if you'll let me say it that way. So on the other hand, if the Lord is blessing you to have sheep feeders, where not just the sheep, the old sheep, the middle-aged sheep, but the little lambs can come up and feed out of the trough from the Word of God, you need to rejoice that you don't have somebody like Jonah. You see? And I'm not just talking about myself. I mean, whoever gets in this pulpit and preaches. Now, there's a place for calling on repentance and to be chastised you know you're going to be chastised by the Lord if we don't repent I get that but you know when the Lord told Peter to feed my sheep he didn't say ram it down their throat (laughs) he didn't say force feed them right he just said feed my sheep here is Jonah he's not a very pleasant prophet he's pouting and he says watch this in verse three but this caps it off this is how bad his frame of mind is Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) We kind of laugh at that, but he's basically saying, Kill me, Lord. I would rather die than see your mercy on this city. (laughs) And I was thinking about this, and I am afraid that I may die before I see a nation repent. I was thinking, I would love to live to see... A general great awakening among God's people in our nation. And here's Jonah asking to be put to death before he would see repentance of a nation. You get that? You you talk about getting backwards in your thinking. That's what pride and unthankfulness will do for you. It'll put you backwards in your thinking. And God looks at him. I mean, think about all the dynamics that are going on here. Can't you just picture God just, it's almost like God is in awe of his stupidity, of Jonah's foolishness and stupidity. You know, God's just going, really? And not that God doesn't know everything, of course, but notice how God is is interacting with Jonah. And if that was you or me, we wouldn't have this kind of patience. I mean, God is proving what Jonah said about him being merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness you know, in many ways, at this point, Jonah deserved to be put back in the belly of the whale. <laughs> you see? What, what is that diploma doing him any good now? You see, he, he's graduated from whale school, and he's like he's just turning his credentials back in. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. Kill me, Lord, for it's better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than see this nation repent. And then the Lord says... Doest thou well to be angry? You know, the Lord actually talks with him. He said, Do you, you really think you're on the right mark here, Jonah? Interestingly, at this point, Jonah doesn't answer him. <laughs> so Jonah went out of the city. Now, in verse 5, it may be that Jonah, some of the commentators think, well, Jonah's already out on the edge of the city when this first verses 1 through 3 take place. I mean, Who knows, really, in a sense, who cares, but Jonah has positioned himself for the firework show. He is expecting God to judge this city and destroy it. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth. I think it's significant that he went to the east side (laughs) and he made him a booth and sat under it. He He builds himself a little shelter and he sits under it in the shadow of the shelter till he might see what will become of the city. The reason I think he's done this immediately after he preached to Nineveh, and I think you know, the dialogue that goes on between him and the Lord is after he's already up there, because you could just picture him just sitting there, just waiting to watch the Lord burn this city. He can't wait. He's thinking back to Sodom and Gomorrah. See, He's thinking back to reading the book of Genesis, uh, the book of the law, you know, the book of Moses, and reading about how God brought fire and brimstone upon that those wicked cities. And watch verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. That, could there be anything more merciful than even in the midst of Jonah's foolishness and his anger and his displeasure and his relative stupidity god still gives him a blessing (laughs) that just is a testimony to the mercy and grace of god you hear me and so jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd you remember that one of the titles was glad for a gourd but mad at the lord (laughs) you know i mean he's he's happy you know think about the the psychosis here what's going on in this man's mind he's angry he's mad He's mad at God. He's mad because he's not going to see these people destroyed. He hates these people. And then the Lord sends this gourd. I don't know, miraculously, you know, this gourd just comes up kind of overnight. comes up in one night. So when the sun comes up, his little booth, his little wimpy little booth that he built, his shelter was not keeping the sun off of him. So here's this gourd with leaves on it. And he's, ah, this is great. (laughs) You know, I've got a better shade now to see. He's still thinking, well, maybe the Lord will turn from turning and will destroy the city. So Jonah was glad for the gourd. Now, this is a testimony to how mixed up Jonah's value system was. He's mad because God is not going to destroy the city, but he's glad because a vine comes up. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen how gourds grow out in the country or out in the garden or whatever, but they, they just kind of spread. Now, this gourd here, this vine here was a stiff enough vine to where it goes up and covers over him, but it's got big leaves on it. And then it says in verse 7 that God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day. And it smote the gourd that it, that it withered. So here you've got Jonah valuing a plant more than he values people. And Jonah's already been instructed in one of the most extreme ways that you could ever imagine somebody being instructed. I told you when we first started this series on Jonah that you don't want to go to whale school. I would much rather go to worm school than to whale school. I mean, think about it. God teaches Jonah this tremendous lesson that he doesn't get from whale school. And now he sends this little bitty worm. I'm sure there's some great significance there that some great fisherman could tell us, you know, but it's a worm that catches a fish, you know. (laughs) But here's a worm that God prepares. He prepared a fish. He prepared a whale that swallowed up Jonah. And now he prepares a worm. I tell you, that's a testimony to God's absolute sovereignty and authority over all of creation. He can use a whale. He can use a worm. He can use. He can make an old crazy king, prideful king, go out and become, have the heart of a beast. That's what it says that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. That he, he was given the heart of a beast. You know, God is all powerful. And he can teach us lessons from so many different areas. And Jonah didn't get the whale lesson. <laughs> you might say in some one sense, he flunked out of whale school. And now God's using a worm, a little bitty worm from one of the biggest animals or one of the biggest fishes, or I guess it's a mammal officially, but one of the biggest animals out there. And now he's using this little bitty animal, this little bitty worm. I don't think a worm is an animal. You folks that are into all that can tell me later, but but this little bitty worm. So the worm eats, smites the gourd, eats the gourd to where... The gourd falls over. The shade falls over. And Jonah, it says, was upset. It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished him in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. This is a testimony to the foolishness of being stubborn. People that are stubborn and prideful are always going... To fall it doesn't matter there's no exception to that a stubborn and a prideful person is going to fall and here's jonah he's rejoicing because he's got this shade and then when the shade is gone he's wishing that he was dead again now think about it first a whale took everything from him right it took everything from him his comforts in life where he wanted to go what he wanted to do A whale took everything from him, and now a worm has taken everything from him. This guy cannot be satisfied. Do we want to be this way? I hope not. I don't think you are this way, and I hope I'm not this way, but I don't want to be this way where I can never be satisfied with anything. So Jonah had pity on the gourd. God says to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? You know, first God said, doest thou well to be angry because I'm sparing Nineveh? Jonah didn't answer. And now the Lord says, are you doing right by being angry for me taking away this gourd? And Jonah says with clenched teeth, if he had any strength left, I do well to be angry, even unto death. This guy is amazing, isn't he? I don't mean that in a good way. (laughs) So if you look there in verse 8, you can just picture John, uh, John is sitting there under the little booth that he's made, and the gourd comes up, and then the gourd goes down from the worm, and then the sun comes up, and here comes this east wind. God sent. Remember, he's sitting over here on the east side of the city, and here comes this east wind, and it's so hard on him, and it beat, and the sun beats upon his head that he just faints and he falls out. He's just laying there. He's pitiful, isn't he? I mean, it's all. It's, it's really. It's, it's kind of comical, if you think about it. When, after, we, after I had my surgery, and Sister Tracy wisely took me away where I could not go to the office, and she took me down there to the beach, there was one day that we went out, and I was kind of stumbling around with a cane, you know. By the way, that was Brother Tibbs' cane that I was using. And So we got out to the beach one day, and I said, I'm going to sit on the beach, I'm gonna and I'm going to read. And when we got out of the car... The wind was whipping the sand so hard, it was just beating you in the face. You had to put your glasses on. But I was determined that I was going to sit out on the beach for at least a few minutes. Three or four of us went out there. You couldn't even throw a Frisbee. I mean, I couldn't throw it, period. But they couldn't. I mean, you throw the Frisbee in it one way and it'd go the other way. The wind was so strong. So I went out there and got me a chair. And I had my little book, which was full of sand whenever I got back in the car. And I turned the chair, got somebody to face the chair away from the wind, and I sat out in my chair, which took you know a few minutes to get in the chair. And I sat there, began to read my book. Somebody took a picture of me smiling, but my, in my heart, I wasn't smiling. I was like, this is misery. It's just wind and, and sand hitting me in the back of the head. My, my hair, even under my cap, was filled with sand by the time I got back in the car. But I went out there and I stayed out there for a few minutes and read at least a couple pages. I was determined to do that. When I read this about Jonah, it makes me think of that. You know, the Lord sends a wind that is so, so harsh that it's just, it's like a tornado. It's just pushing Jonah, and the sun's coming out and shining on his head, and finally he just falls out and he faints. <laughs> and he's just laying there, mad, angry at the world, angry at God, angry at Nineveh, unthankful. <laughs> God says, are you, you think you're doing right here, pal? Do you well, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he says, I do well to be angry even unto death. Kill me, Lord. And then the Lord, in his mercy, his kindness, gives Jonah one final lesson. And he says, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored. Neither madest it grow." which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare or have pity? And he's also saying, and why, Jonah, would you not have pity on Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? (laughs) You see, you, you think about Jonah's value system as opposed to God's value system you see what god values it it's believed among almost all of the commentators and i believe this that when he says six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand he's referring to to babies or to at least it could be children under 7 that's one of the commentators and they had their reasons for that i won't go into all those reasons but it's talking about children that's what most of them believe you, you see you see where god's eye was <laughs> Is that not tie in 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 just a tiny little bit into what we've seen in the last month of the horrible child murder law being overturned? Where do you think God's eyes are? When He looked upon that city and He thought about sparing that city, not only did He see their repentance, but He also had in mind those little children that were there in that city who were the primary victims of what was going on in that city? Are y'all with me? So when God looks at the United States of America and you say, well, surely he's looking at Washington. Well, he may be you know, stealing a glass at Washington from time to time, probably going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> of course, God doesn't. nothing catches God off guard. That's me. That's my terminology. But when God looks at the United States of America... What is he looking at? In Nineveh, he wasn't looking at the great halls of Congress. He was looking at the children. You see that? The babies. How are they treating those babies? How are they treating those children? That ought to be a lesson to us individually about how we treat children and one another. (laughs) You know? Probably a message for another time. But you want to see God's value system? Not only that. God is looking at the children of that city. And it also says there was much cattle there. I think that's just kind of a funny commentary. You know, God was valuing the children and the cattle. I think my dad would would like that. My dad was a cattleman, you know, and here's God. He's valuing the cattle. You want me to destroy these babies that are down there and also the cattle that's down there? He's given Jonah a lesson about Jonah's broken value system. Now, if this is not a commentary on the broken value systems of our time, I don't know what is. Because nowadays, people value, a lot of times, now look, it doesn't mean you don't value animals, because that would be going against what even God says about the cattle, right? But in general, most people have a value system like Jonah, where if Jonah valued Non, a non-persons, if you'll let me put it that way, non-people. He valued a gourd, he valued a plant over people. And we're living in a day and time when people value things like a plant and animals over people. You've heard me say before, a lot of until recently, dogs and cats and other types of animals have more rights than a baby in the womb. That's changing a little bit, praise God it seems at least in some states, don't ever forget, that fight is not over, because now it's back to the states. It's a state fight now. The fight is still there. I'm just glad we got rid of that devaluation of babies. And look, I don't want to just harp on that, but it's very important to see how that Jonas broken value system is very similar to what's going on out there today. In a lot of places, animals have more rights than people. Jonah valued a gourd, a a vegetable, over people and over babies. You see that? That's an incredible commentary to the way things are today. The the value systems are broken today. And here's this preacher who was acquainted with Jehovah God, who knew the characteristics of Jehovah, of being merciful and kind and, and slow to wrath and so forth. And he's still clinging to his broken value system. I ask you and I ask myself does my value system match up with what God's value system is? You think about that. So the last time you see the pouting prophet he is sitting there on the side of the hill I, I wish I could give you a good ending to Jonah but I can't because we don't see where Jonah said okay God you're right Jehovah, Lord, Elohim, you're right. I shouldn't have thought about this plant like I thought. And I now I want to value these babies you've told me about. And there's some good cows down there, some good cattle. You know, the Lord, It's almost like the Lord is trying to salvage anything he can out of the mind of Jonah. That's a bad place to be too. <laughs> When you get down to trying to just salvage out what you can from a busted mind, from a wicked mind that's thinking so perversely towards the things that God appreciates and loves. God loves repentance. It says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. And here we can imagine the chorus of angels that is, uh, that is sounding off in heaven over an entire nation that repents. If one sinner repenting causes an angel, the angels in heaven to rejoice, can you imagine what an entire nation repenting? And Jonah's sitting there pouting. Oh, I can't stand pouting. I used to do a little bit of pouting myself. No comments from mom, please. I can remember sulling up and pouting and wanting to get my way through Pouting. That did not work well in the home system of Harold McCool <laughs> or Diane. You know, Mom, of course, would turn us over to Dad, and that was where the real fear began. You know, because we were afraid of Mom too. Now she was pretty pretty harsh with that flyswatter, <laughs> but Dad would get the. You didn't pout. You didn't get your way by pouting. I hate to say it, but we we live in a nation of powders. I'll just pout until I get in my way. How many people have been pouting since the election in 2020? I think that even our former president is pouting, and still, you know, pouting is so ugly. It's so, it just makes me roll my eyes. Oh my goodness, you know, my kids know better than to pout. You know, I won't leave them alone when they start pouting. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like dirt. I'm like in the garden. I'm going to dig it out of them. (laughs) You know, some of them are too old to spank now. (laughs) Well, I hope they didn't hear that. Maybe I've still got the bluff on them, but I'm going to dig at them and dig at them until there's no pouting. I'm just not going to have pouting. And yet then I look in the mirror sometimes and I see I'm sold up and pouting. (laughs) I do the same thing. Jonah's pouting. He's prideful and he's pouting and he's mad at God because God won't do what he wants him to do. God is doing something incredibly greater than what Jonah wants him to do, and that is to spare a nation of repentant people. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, what's really going on in Jonah's mind? He forgot to be thankful. You think about it. He says, when I was in my country... I knew and said to myself that if I go up there and preach and do what God calls me to do as a prophet, that God is just likely to forgive those people if they repent. He is so unthankful. You remember what got him out of the belly of the whale? You remember his graduation grade came He prayed all these different ways. He petitioned to God in all these different ways. He prayed, and I can name off all those other ways, until he finally came down to a praise where he said, I have forsaken the mercies of God. I will pay that which I have vowed. And he, in thankfulness and thanksgiving, said, Salvation is of the Lord. And the fish, the whale, vomited him up. That is what graduated him from whale school, was thankfulness. It didn't stick with him very long, did it? And, you know, we're like that. Don't sit there and go, well, you know, glad I'm not like Jonah. We're the same way. We're the same way. We, our thankfulness fades out so quick. I, mine does. If, if you're offended with me saying your thankfulness fades out, well, I'll just go and tell you mine does. I get to st- start thinking about myself and what I'm not Getting and what's not going my way and how things are just not like I want them to be and I start losing my thankfulness and I start getting prideful and sometimes I pout. (laughs) That's what happened with Jonah. And whenever you start pouting and you start being unthankful, guess what? Your value system is, is going to be messed up. That's exactly what happens with Jonah. He didn't learn from the whale or at least what he learned faded out real quick. And he sure didn't learn from the worm. And so he continues to pout. He forgot to be thankful. Now, this bears mentioning because in Matthew 12 and 38, verses right around verse 38, it says that the Pharisees came to Jesus seeking a sign. And Jesus looked at them. And he said, There shall no sign be given this generation except for the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now, of all the prophets that Jesus could have pulled out and and presented there, of all the prophets, it is ironic that he pulls out Jonah. (laughs) Because Jonah is the, the most least like Jesus Christ as anyone you could ever imagine. Because here is Jonah saying, You're merciful, you're kind, you're gracious, and all these different things. And Jesus says... The only sign you're going to get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, and if you put the, Luke, the book of Luke together with that, you'll see where he says that Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. And yes, it was the three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. But it says that the nation of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against that present generation of the Pharisees who were asking for a sign because they repented not. They didn't embrace who Jesus was. But the Ninevites, those heathens, those child sacrificers, those child abusers, those child molesters, those child, the ones that were hurting children, and the they were hurting each other too. Crime was rampant through the city. Those people repented. When this old obstinate, proud, and pouting prophet showed up, <laughs> Jesus said, you'll get no sign but the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? So how were Jonah and Jesus alike? First of all, they spent three days and three nights in a very dark place, (laughs) right? Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Jesus was in the heart of the earth. How were Jonah and Jesus alike? Have you ever thought about this? They both wished for themselves to die. You ever thought about that? At least three times, Jonah said, Kill me, Lord. I wish I was dead. And Jesus Christ, for much different reasons, wished for Himself to die. It says that He despised the shame of the cross, but for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. Why? So that He could keep the covenant that He had made with the Father and with the Spirit. It was a much different reason that Jonah wanted to die. Jonah wanted to die because he was so mad at God. Jesus wished to die so that he could save you from your sins. Isn't that amazing? Another similarity, there's probably many more, but for the sake of time, we'll close out with just one more. They both suffered, Jonah and Jesus, they both suffered the wrath of God. You catch that? Jonah suffered the wrath of God for his disobedience. Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God for your disobedience. You catch that? Jesus suffered the wrath of God for being obedient to God and not swerving from the course that He was on. That's amazing, isn't it? If you'll just sit back and just think about what was going on in the mind of Jonah... He is merciless. He is angry. And he wished himself to die. (laughs) Oh, may God spare us from such characteristics where we are taken by such things. I mean, I tell you, your anger will take you if you let it. It will take you. And I think the next time I get angry, (laughs) God forbid... I'm going to think back to this right here, to what the Lord may be saying to me. Tim, doest thou well to be angry? No. We do not do well to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. But isn't it amazing that Jesus used that example of Jonah. He said, that's the only sign you're going to get. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man Be in the heart of the earth. The very fact that Jesus used that example of Jonah is a testimony to the graciousness and the mercy of God. You see, of all the prophets he could have used, he used angry, mad, upset, obstinate, and pouting, prideful Jonah. So, Jonah in the last chapter, he went to whale school in the first chapter, but now he goes to worm school. And that's kind of appropriate, isn't it? Because he's, he's really acting like a, a worm. You know, I, I, the song we sing, Who Am I? You know, this worm of earth. I think Jonah had forgotten that he was a worm. I think Jonah had forgotten that even the words that he spoke came from another source, from God, when he was prophesying. I think Jonah forgot that it wasn't his right to have been born in the nation of Israel. It was the blessing of God. And I think that we forget those things. We forget where we come from and what we were. And we start thinking we're something and that we become prideful. And the next thing you know, we think we have this deserving mentality. And we become a lot like Jonah. God spare us from that. Help us to be thankful. And to realize salvation is of the Lord. Every deliverance we get in this life is from God. Every ability we have is from God. Everything that we should be doing should be to the glory of God. See? And let us follow the pattern of our Lord (laughs) instead of following the pattern of this pouting prophet. I've enjoyed studying the book of Jonah and I look forward to, Lord willing, to moving on into some of the other minor prophets. But I certainly think that Jonah was worth taking it a little bit slower and going through each of the chapters. So I hope that it's been a blessing to you and I hope that it's been glorifying to God.